When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Hello, everyone. Today, I will be talking with Dr. Taylor Arnold. Taylor is a kids nutrition expert, nutrition PhD, pediatric dietitian, and mom of two, soon to be three. She specializes in helping parents shape healthy relationships with food so their kids grow to be confident eaters who eat veggies and don't obsess over sweets. She has a YouTube channel with free courses for parents about healthy eating habits, picky eating, and infant solids introduction. Her mission is to change the world by making this information accessible and affordable to everyone and to help parents raise the next generation of eaters to love and nourish their bodies. In today's episode, we talk about how parents can help their children have a healthy relationship with food if they themselves do not, how to encourage your child to be more adventurous with eating, how to make dinner time more enjoyable for everyone, and much more. Let's dive in. Just a little disclaimer before we start this episode. This podcast does not provide medical advice. The information on this podcast is for informational purposes only. No material on this site is intended to be a substitute for professional medical advice, diagnosis, or treatment. Our first sponsor today is Navy Hair Care. I have been working with Navy Hair Care since they launched back in 2018. At that time, I was about a year postpartum with our third child and my hair was experiencing some trouble after some significant postpartum hair loss. Navy really helped to strengthen my hair and I noticed a big difference about one to two months after using it regularly. With biotin, vitamins, and rosemary oil, this shampoo and conditioner combo has been part of my daily routine for years now. I also use the charcoal mask every one to two weeks to help revitalize my hair. It helps to dry out toxins, heavy metals, and impurities which we have plenty of since we have well water. This mask will leave your hair feeling incredibly soft and lightweight. You can use the code Lindsay, L-Y-N-Z-Y, for 30% off your order, and I will leave the links to the products I mentioned within the show notes. All right, everybody, we have Dr. Taylor Arnold here today. Thank you so much for taking the time to be with us. Thanks for having me. I am so excited to chat about feeding kids. Yes. So as we were chatting about before we started, I think this topic will apply to just about every person that tries to feed their children because it is a struggle bus for all of us. (laughs) And, you know, it's funny because I have four kids and they all eat differently. My first loves to eat. She'll venture out and eat just about anything. And then my second won't eat, you know, meat. She won't eat. She's obsessed with yellow peppers and she won't eat, you know, a bunch of other things. And I'm like, what did I do? <laughs> and, you know, I, I don't necessarily think it's something that we specifically do sometimes, but I do think that you'll help us today to figure out some tips and tricks that we can learn along the way to encourage our kids to have these healthy relationships with food. Absolutely. I love all the actionable tips. So we'll jam pack this episode with those today. Yeah. (laughs) So why don't we start with, I think a good place to start would be, you know, what can we do when we first start introducing foods to our kids? What are some things that we need to be thinking about as we are starting to introduce those foods? I know I actually did an episode quite a while ago with a, I believe it was with a speech pathologist that like specialized in, you know, babies and starting solid foods. But, you know, there's always those rumors out there that are like, well, you need to start them on this vegetable specifically, because if you do, they'll be more apt to eat more vegetables when they get older. And I've seen that one go sour real quick. So (laughs) I'd love to hear from you. Like, where do we start? How can we, we start this healthy relationship with food like early on? And then, you know, as they get older in toddlerhood and such, when they start to kind of double down and say, oh, you know, you might have given that to me as a baby, but I'm not falling for that anymore. Like, what can we do? (laughs) Yes. Well, that totally happens. So first, there is no like one food you should be giving your kid for the first like food. That is total BS. So if anybody says that, you should definitely question that person's advice. 
as far as how to help your kid have a healthy relationship with food from the beginning, probably the number one thing you can do is to work on your own relationship with food. That's, that's like my very first piece of advice for parents. It's kind of like the airplane analogy. You know, you have to put your mask on before you can help someone else. That's not to say that you have to have a perfect relationship with food to help your kids have a good relationship with food. That's absolutely not the case, but you need to commit to working on it. And once we have that commitment. And once you're progressing in that, that's where we want to be. The second would be to arm yourself with information. So find a good resource where you can learn accurate information. So not only looking for someone's credentials, but looking, are they providing citations and justification for the recommendations they're giving, or are they just like spouting a bunch of recommendations? And third, when it comes to infants, I'm a huge advocate of baby-led feeding. And now this is different from baby-led weaning. I feel like the term baby-led weaning has totally been hijacked by like all the crazy mom Facebook groups. Mm. (laughs) Oh my gosh. I do not. I stay away from those because they can be very problematic. But you can feed your baby baby baby-led feeding style with purees, with a spoon. And so what I mean by baby-led feeding is listening to baby's cues. So being responsive to their cues, adjusting meal times if you notice they're getting hangry super early in the day, maybe adjusting the composition of meals, adjusting the frequency, listening to their cues at meal times when they're hungry and when they're full, and respecting those cues despite maybe you have some food left in the baby food jar. Or maybe they want a fourth serving and you're like, where are you putting this? That's okay kids intake varies. So kind of respecting and following those cues is one of the other best things that we can do to start our littlest ones off on the right foot. You're saying to me though, that the first step is that I can't be eating candy in front of my kids like multiple times a day and then telling them that they have to eat vegetables. (laughs) Well, you know, I think it's, no, not necessarily. (laughs) I think, you know, it's important to include them in the meals that you're eating, but obviously candy is not a safe food for for babies. But what I mean by that is not saying like, oh, this is my cheat day food or talking about like food is, it makes you feel really bad. This is, you know, so avoiding those like morally charged words and attitudes towards food and trying to see food as just food. It's something that nourishes your body. It's something that allows you to connect to your culture, to your family, but it doesn't make one a good or a bad person. And although like your six month old is not going to understand when you're like, Oh, this is my cheat day food. You know, they're just completely oblivious to that. It's they see the attitude that we have and, and that infancy period allows us to practice those good practices around food with our kids. So by the time they do start to understand, it's like second nature to you. Yeah. Yeah. No, that makes sense. I mean, we, we do try to do that obviously. And, and when our kids come home, like, you know, hangry from school, like I always try to make sure we have like bowls of vegetables on the table and fruit, and you can have as much as you want before dinner, but you know, dinner's in an hour type of thing. I think that's always really tough too, because they're starving when they come home from school, but you're also having dinner in like an hour. (laughs) So you don't want them to like eat everything in sight, but that's what they want to do, you know, type of thing. And that's very responsive of you. Like that is what responsive feeding looks like. You're saying you're recognizing that your kids are showing you cues and you're responding in a predictable and appropriate way. It is absolutely appropriate to feed your kids if they're hangry on a consistent basis. But if it doesn't work for your family schedule to have dinner immediately, providing them something as like a bridge or an appetizer. I love appetizers as a way to help introduce new foods to kids. So you're giving them the option like, you, I want you to listen to your tummy. Here are the foods that you can do that with. And if you don't want those foods, that's totally your decision and you can wait until dinner time. And so you're giving them autonomy, but you're still being responsive to their needs. And that's kind of what we want. That's like the name of the game in terms of feeding kids. Do you recommend, like personally, this is what I do. So I'm curious, like, do you recommend once, you know, kids are kind of out of that like baby led feeding type of phase? So they're, you know, one and a half, two years old, toddler age. We have always tried to just give them a plate that is, you know, really is as colorful as it can be, depending on what we have, but just like putting in something that's, you know, carbs, something that's protein, something that's a fruit or veggie, like for a lunch, for example, it's like how we do our lunch, their lunches. We'd put a huge thing of protein in the middle, plus or minus some carbs in there, and then some fruit, veggie, and we always put like a little treat. 
But what do you recommend as far as that goes, like uh, to kind of broaden their palate and get them, you know, setting them up for a future of like wanting to try new foods? Is there anything that you can say that is is something that's maybe even there's some research to back it? Like if you were to offer them, you know, a, a wider palate, like they're more apt to be open to new foods down the road or? Yeah. So, well, okay. So I heard a lot of questions in there. So let me yeah, there was a lot <laughs> answer of them in order. <laughs> so as far as like building a plate, how I do that for kids is similar to what you do. I want to get a protein source and I want to get a produce source. So sometimes it's fruit, sometimes it's veggies, sometimes it's both. We, ha- I think in our culture, we like elevate veggies as being this like thing that's way better than fruit, but fruit has a ton of nutrients and a ton of fiber in it as well. So if your kid is a fruit lover, like we should embrace that because that's incredible. So I get a protein in there, I get a produce in there, and then some sort of like grain or preferred food. And then sometimes I'll have something sweet too. It just depends on the day. I don't always have something sweet on the plate, but I do frequently. And that's kind of how I build their plates. Now, as far as how to help them like accept new foods, there is so much research on that. It is incredible, which is why I love to do what I do because I feel like there's a lot of research and papers that get put out that don't actually get translated to like real life parents who just want their kids to eat new things. So that's what I like to do is like translating that research for parents to be able to actually use that in their house. And so I have a whole course on that on YouTube. It's completely free for parents, like no upselling, no gimmicks, just a hundred percent free if you want to learn how to feed your kids new foods. So if you want more support beyond this episode, but we'll still talk about that right now. So some examples are like visual exposure to foods. So like exposure to foods in books, using characters to help expose your kids to new foods. So like if you you know, our editor, like a picture editor, or you want to cut and paste a picture of like Spider-Man holding broccoli and tape it to the fridge. And then you serve broccoli for dinner. That is an evidence-based way to visually expose your kid to a new food and to help them feel comfortable with it. And we see that used all the time in marketing, like characters on cereal boxes and in commercials, but I, but you can like hijack that and use it to your advantage for vegetables in your own house. And then like playing with the food is so evidence-based and helpful. So can we use broccoli as like my go-to example? Can we use broccoli as like a paintbrush and draw, make a painting for grandma and mail it to her in the mail? Or can we use toothpicks and blueberries and see if we can make like a building that doesn't like who can make the tallest building that doesn't fall over. So things like that, where we're playing and getting involved with the food and experiencing the food in in a low pressure setting where the child isn't like the the expectation isn't to eat. The expectation is just to learn the food and and be with the food and expose themselves to the food. Other things that are super evidence-based cooking or helping with meal prep or grocery shopping in some way is there is a huge body of research on that. There's a smaller body of research on grocery shopping. There's not a ton, but there is a few articles. And, you know, that also is just all of these things that I'm naming are ways that your child is allowed to experience the food without having the pressure of eating it. So if you can think of any way of interacting with the food that's low pressure, that's a good way to help expose your kid to the food. So I love those tools. And they also provide like really good family bonding. Snack activities are the best for hangry kids if you want to keep them busy while you are trying to cook dinner. And like I think kids really young can actually start contributing in a helpful way to cooking and cleaning in the kitchen as well. So did that yes. answer? Did I get all of those yes. questions in there? <laughs> okay. <laughs> yeah. So I will share a little story about what you just mentioned. So my, well, our, let's see, she's in one of the middles. So she's six and she is, I would call her, I would call her a picky eater. You know, she just doesn't particularly like anything that I cook, really anything. And so I've been trying to get her a little bit more involved in the kitchen, which can be a little bit difficult when you have four kids. So like if my husband's home and can, you know, kind of distract the other ones, I'll kind of bring her over and give her like that one-on-one time, but also introduce her into the kitchen like and show her how to, you know, do a few things. And so we got these knives on Amazon that are kid-friendly. You know, they're like, they have these like serrated edges, but they're very safe. You know, I think it, it, would, you, it would be very difficult for you to like 
cut yourself with them. Not even sure it's possible. So I give her a cutting board and I give her all the veggies because what we've been doing, which is something new that I've discovered that was like kind of like this light bulb went off. Someone had shared it with me and I was like, that's genius. I've been putting a bowl of veggies or fruit, whatever in the middle of the table so that if you know, they don't want to eat their main meal, they're more than welcome to fill up on whatever's in the middle of the table. So she will like cut up all these things, right? So she'll have like the pepper and the cucumber and carrots, whatever. So she'll cut all those up with her knife that she has. And like, I have found that she'll just like eat a lot more when she's like in control of like how everything's prepared. (laughs) It's like she sits down, she's like all proud and she's like, oh, I cut these. And then she just starts eating it. <laughs> you know. So yes, I can definitely attest to that. Definitely improving how she has been eating. Um, yeah. I mean, I think c- yeah. knives and cutting practice are so <laughs> exciting for kids. My three-year-old is the same way. Like I actually shared about that on Instagram the other day. We like you hand my toddler a, or a preschooler now cutting board and a child safe knife and something. And she like, tell her to prep it for the family and she eats most of it. <laughs> so you have to have a lot of extra, but you know, yeah. I'm fine because that's a great way to expose them. You're not telling them to eat it. Yeah. There's You're low giving pressure. Them like a job. Yeah. They're just giving them this like fun job to do. And then in the midst of it, it's like, they're also eating and being exposed to new food. Yeah. Yeah. So my plan is to kind of like branch out a little bit with like all the things I'm having her cut up and see what happens. <laughs> yeah. So that's, that's been really good. So I guess kind of branching off of that, if there is, if you have found as a parent that there is a certain aversion that one of your children has, so I don't know, it could be about anything. So it could be, oh, my child won't eat meat. Oh, my child really doesn't seem to like any vegetables at all. I've tried every single one. Is there anything that you can tell us about about that that could maybe help them point them in the, the right direction as to how to deal with that? Yes. Yes. So that's what the strategies in my variety one-on-one course go over. You can kind of pick which food you want to focus on and use those strategies. They work for any food, but there is like a, like a caveat I want to throw in here. First, some kids who have food aversions have them for medical reasons. So like be it, they have eosinophilic esophagitis, or they have reflux or celiac disease, for example. So it's important to make sure you're being evaluated by a healthcare provider before you like try to go all in on expanding their diet variety, just to make sure we're not missing anything. So just kind of keep that in mind. But if you feel like, yes, this is not medical related. There's also sensory aversions. So some kids have an aversion to certain types of foods due to sensory needs. So maybe they're a sensory avoider and they like hate mushy things on their hands or like sticky rice on their hands. And so they avoid those foods. Maybe they're a sensory seeker and they really seek that like high sensory input food. So they're like love crunchy, hard, chewy foods, but they stray away from like mushy foods. And so we need to take those needs into account when we're trying to help our child try new foods. And so the beauty of these strategies that I'm going to talk about and that I talk about in my Variety 101 course is that they work for kids who are neurotypical and neurodivergent. They just might, It just might take a little bit longer to work with a neurodivergent kid, especially if they have sensory needs on these sorts of things. But that being said... The strategies I already said work really, really well. So like the visual exposure, the cooking with the food, the play with the food, and also like we can have games at the table. We can do novelty. Novelty is probably one of my favorite ways to help kids try new foods. That that would be using like, you can either purchase tools. You don't have to like the knife, for example, is an example of a novelty tool, but you can use what you have at at home. So like, give me an example of something that your daughter is struggling with. Mine specifically? Yeah. She doesn't really particularly like meat. So a protein is tough with her, you know? Okay. So like, let's say you served like a make your own sandwich bar, like a make your own deli sandwich bar, giving her the opportunity to build her own sandwich. So you're involving her in cooking, you're she's touching the foods, or like, let's say you served like pasta and meatballs. So if you gave her her plate with pasta and meatballs on it, and you gave her tongs instead of a fork, and we're like, good luck. This is going to be really funny and messy dinner because nobody gets a fork tonight. Like she's probably going to be like, okay, 
what happened to mom? She's, she's gotten a little off the walls, but it's, it's funny and weird and fun for these like new novel experiences at the table. And you know, when she sees like brother or sister making a mess, trying to eat with the tongs or dad, you know, dropping a meatball on the floor, it's going to be funny and fun to try for her as well. So even her like picking up the meatball with the tong and squeezing it or licking it or putting it a little in her mouth and spitting it out. Like that's a huge step forward for kids who are trying to be exposed to new things like proteins and meat. You can do like floor picnics are a novelty thing. So if you're going to be introducing a dinner or a meal that you know your kid might struggle with, set up a picnic on the floor, light a candle and have like a candlelit floor picnic dinner. (laughs) It'll be weird and different, but it just kind of like eases the tension and the anxiety that kids can feel around new food and can make it a fun experience versus like a stressful experience. So I love novelty. Safe foods are really important for selective eaters. I don't like the term picky because I think it kind of has a bad connotation, but I know it's a common common words. So I use them interchangeably sometimes, but safe foods are really important. So if you serve, I like to think of it like a going to a party by yourself and you don't know anybody, like you don't feel like you want to branch out and meet new people. But if you have your best friend with you, it makes you feel a lot more comfortable exploring and talking and being open. The same thing is with safe foods on a plate. If your child has a safe food on their plate, they're going to start the eating process and it's just going to make them feel more comfortable trying new things. But another thing I want to throw in there with safe foods is this is a really common strategy that we use. And it's anecdotally very popular among clinicians, experienced clinicians, but there is no research on safe foods. So while it's a popular strategy, it's not necessarily a research-based strategy, but I myself have found it to be useful with clients and my kids as well. So there's lots of things we can do for kids who need to try new foods or have aversions. We just kind of need to evaluate what is their version? Is it sensory? Can we evaluate that first and help them feel comfortable in exploring that food? And then how can we introduce these things like exposure and novelty and even more advanced strategies like food chaining to help a child accept a new food, whatever that may be? This podcast episode is brought to you by Element. Replenishing your electrolytes is key, especially after a good workout or if you keep up a really active lifestyle. I have been reaching for Element even more in these past few weeks as I have been prepping to be part of a sprint triathlon relay. When you sweat, the primary electrolyte lost is sodium. Athletes can lose up to 7 grams per day. When sodium is not replaced, it's common to experience muscle cramps and fatigue. Element contains a science-backed electrolyte ratio. 1,000 milligrams sodium, 200 milligrams potassium, 60 milligrams of magnesium. No sugar, coloring, or artificial ingredients. You can adjust how much you want in your drink by adding Element to 8, 12, 24, or 32 ounces of water. Personally, I always add one packet to my 32-ounce water bottle at the beginning of a workout. I've been loving the watermelon and raspberry salt flavors the most. Element is currently offering Motherhood Meets Medicine listeners a free sample pack with any purchase. You will receive eight single-serving packets free with any Element order. This is a great way to try out all eight flavors. Get yours at Drink lmnt.com slash Lindsay. That's L-Y-N-Z-Y. This deal is only available through my link. Head over to D-R-I-N-K-L-M-N-T.com slash Lindsay. L-Y-N-Z-Y. Element offers no questions asked refunds. So what would your advice be? So say a family is sitting down for dinner, you just spent however long it was cooking dinner, and you sit down and two out of your four kids won't eat it. What is your strategy there? Do you suggest and not, you know, I'm just I'm just putting these options out there. Do you suggest that they get to pick their own meal? You make that separately? Do you suggest they just sit, hang out and like be part of the family while everybody else is eating or like, what's your, what's your suggestion there? That's a really good question. And something that happens commonly to all families, myself included, my kids will refuse meals all the time. So 
First, I always recommend that families require coming to the table. Like that's a non-negotiable. Just a bedtime is a non-negotiable. Meal times are non-negotiable. Not saying you have to just like, you know, with bedtime, you don't you can't force your kids to sleep, but as long as they're in their bed, quiet. <laughs> you know, it is what it is. The same with meal times. So I make meal times non-negotiable. And no, I do not recommend offering a separate meal. That is assuming you are implementing these strategies that I talk about in my courses and that we talk about here to be considerate, yet not catering to your child's needs. So do they have a safe food? Is their seat comfortable? Are they supported? Have we given them what they need to fulfill their sensory needs? previous, like prior to dinner, have we helped them transition to the table in a way if your struggles with your child struggles with transitions, have their emotional needs been met for the day? Have they had an opportunity to have physical activity? Like, let's just say we've had all of those needs are met and your child comes to the table and they just don't want what is served for dinner. To that, I say, you don't have to eat. That's totally up to you, your decision. I want you to listen to your tummy, but the next time we're going to eat is blank. So if it's a bedtime snack, if you normally do a bedtime snack, then you know the next time we're going to eat is bedtime snack and here's what we're having. Or the next time we're going to eat is breakfast. And then your child can then make a decision and then they will learn from that decision based on how they feel. And you know, some kids just like fill up on snacks during the day, depending on what they ate at school, or like maybe they weren't super active in recess and they had like a little screen time when they go- came home and they didn't expend a lot of calories. So their energy needs aren't super high that day. Maybe they're like completely emotionally drained and just want to rest alone <laughs> and don't feel like eating. That's okay. Like that happens to adults too. And I think it's really important that we respect our kids when they have those experiences too. If this is a nightly problem or if your child begins to lose weight, then we need to address something underlying that's happening. But I find when I'm working with parents, it is harder on the parents when a child skips a meal than it is on the child. And so the biggest thing that needs to happen is for a parent to be able to accept that their child just doesn't want to eat that night. And sometimes that's totally okay. Yeah. I remember having multiple conversations with my children's pediatrician and, you know, she always used to tell me, I I get so nervous, like, oh, she's, I don't know, like one of my kids isn't eating a breakfast at all, but she'll eat a really big lunch, really big dinner. And she always told me like, as long as they're eating you know, really good meals throughout the rest of the day, or, you know, they're eating a really big breakfast, really big lunch, but they're not so keen on dinner. Like that's totally fine, you know, and and that does frequently happen with, with smaller children. They'll just, you know, like really, really like to eat a big breakfast. They wake up in the morning and, and that's what they do. And that's kind of where our four-year-old is now. Like he rarely eats dinner, but I never, I just, you know, like we have to sit at the table. You have to be, you know, respectful of everybody else eating. But if you don't want to eat, that's fine. And you can have, you know, X, Y, and Z in the morning. And he always just eats a killer breakfast. But when he always comes home, eat, he has eaten his whole lunch at school, but he just doesn't, doesn't do the dinner thing right now. Yeah. It's very biologically normal to front load your calories at the beginning of the day, especially for an active child who needs those calories throughout the day. Because, you know, kids don't need a huge hit of calories before bed because they're not going to be expending a lot of energy then. So, and plus the the breakfast foods that are typical in American culture are very palatable and appealing to kids. And so it is so common for a child to front load the calories and that is not abnormal. So if your kid does that, like, so do a lot of other kids. (laughs) So... Let's talk a little bit about snacking. I, if I had a dollar for every time my kids asked me for a snack in the past eight years, like we would all be millionaires, <laughs> right? <laughs> no, seriously, like what is up with snacking? I feel like the majority of the time they're bored. Like, I, you know what I mean? But it's like, well, it's not up to me to decide if they're hungry or bored. Like they're telling me they're hungry. You know what I mean? So, so like, how do we know when our kids are bored versus hungry? You know, like what? <laughs> What am I looking That's a really here? good question. So first of all, when when we look at the science, so frequent snacking is known as grazing. Like if you're searching PubMed and trying to find articles on that, you'll find it under grazing in children. So the research is more 
extensive in adults on grazing. So some of this, what I'm going to say is going to be extrapolated from adult research. And some of this is specifically related to kids, but we see grazing related to disordered eating behaviors and mental health struggles like anxiety and depression. Now that's not saying grazing is causing anxiety, but we do see a connection with the disordered eating behaviors. So grazing the end, the TLDR of that is grazing is not an ideal eating style for children or anybody. So if you have kids who just want to snack all day long, there's a couple things that I think about and want to like investigate here. First, are you being responsive in the way you feed your kids? So the fact that you're like listening to them and thinking about, okay, well, should I feed them? Should I not? Like, what should I do? That's a very responsive approach. If your kids are snacking all day long, that makes me think they need more at meal times. So how can we make meal times more substantial in terms of fats, protein, and carbs, things that like keep their blood sugar stable and keep them full for a long period of time. Perhaps we need to adjust meal times. So like if your kid is constantly like famished at 11 and you serve lunch at noon, well, maybe we need to serve lunch at 1115 or 11.30 and adjust it there. Maybe we need to add another snack in. Yes, that's certainly possible. So those are kind of the things I I jump to. People ask me about like the snack drawers a lot. Like, would you give your kid an open access to a snack drawer? I usually am not a proponent of that because I think it promotes grazing. And when we have that grazing approach to eating, it's like a cycle. So if your kid is snacking a ton, then they're going to eat less at mealtimes and then they're going to be more hungry. And so they're going to graze and then they're going to eat less at mealtimes. And it's like, it's really like this vicious cycle. So I recommend families get on a flexible routine. I could say schedule, but I feel like that sounds very like regimented and nobody has time for that. So like you know, your kid knows we have breakfast, then we have one snack, then we have lunch, then we have another snack, and then we have an after school snack, and then we have dinner. And then bedtime and snack is optional. And if it's not in one of those windows, then we can say, you know, we're not going to snack right now, but lunch is in 30 minutes. So what would you like to do to with me while we wait? And letting your kid experience hunger while they wait for a meal is a good thing. You know, kids, kids who are going into meals hungry are going to be more likely to try new things, to explore new foods on their plate. I'm not talking about being hangry or like famished or like low blood sugar status because nobody wants to feel like that. But like if your kid's a little hungry and lunch is in 15 minutes, like it's okay to tell them to wait. So, you know, we may need to, if you have constant snackers, we may need to adjust how you're offering things and get out of that grazing cycle, which can take a little bit and can be a little frustrating for everybody involved. But once we've got on that flexible routine, I think that can really make a difference for kids trying new foods because I also see parents who say they have picky eaters are in that grazing cycle. And oftentimes that grazing is contributing to the pickiness because the child isn't really that hungry at lunch. And so they're just like, eh, I'm going to eat my safe foods and I'm not going to try anything else. And then it just continues over and over and over again. Yeah. Yeah. No, that makes sense. This podcast is brought to you by BetterHelp. Caring for our minds is so important for our well-being. Investing in the time and care to keep them healthy is key. BetterHelp Online Therapy will help you do that from the comfort of your own home. BetterHelp Therapy will assess your needs and can match you with your own licensed professional therapist in less than 48 hours. It took becoming a mother for me to realize how important it was to find a community that can understand me and support me, and part of that community includes therapy. Finding a therapist you can trust and talk to is incredibly therapeutic and part of taking care of you. You will be a better mother, partner, and friend when you take care of yourself, and this is just one of the ways you can do that. With BetterHelp, you can log in and send a message to your therapist at any time. I know that it's important to be able to connect with your therapist, so BetterHelp allows you to change therapists if needed, free of charge. You can easily schedule to talk with your therapist online with a video or phone session, and you don't need to travel to an appointment, saving you time. It's also more affordable than your typical offline therapy, and they also have financial aid available as well. 
If you want to try it out, my listeners can get 10% off their first month with the link in my show notes. That website link is betterhelp.com slash Lindsay. That's L-Y-N-Z-Y. That's 10% off your first month of therapy at betterhelp.com slash Lindsay, L-Y-N-Z-Y. Let me know if you try it. I would love to know your thoughts. I feel like it totally depends on the day. And I have just found like if my kids are really, you know, like they're playing out in the backyard and they're so distracted and they're, you know, they won't ask me for a snack all morning. But if they're inside, it's raining, they're slightly distracted, but not really. It's like, okay, well, when's the next time we can have a snack? (laughs) Right. And that's like a really good opportunity to talk to them about like, well, how does food make you feel like, what does hunger feel like? What does hunger feel like in your tummy? What does it feel like in your head? Like how do your arms and legs feel when you're hungry? Is what you're experiencing right now hunger? Or do you think that you would be okay like going for a walk with your dog or do you want to help me help me make your lunch since you're hungry and then we'll have lunch at our normal lunch time but maybe you know we'll snack on the way while we're making our lunch or so i think that's a good opportunity to like get reflective with your kids and have them evaluate those hunger and fullness cues and start to like parse out is what I'm feeling hunger or not. And then if it is, then, okay, well, if this is happening all the time, we need to like evaluate the rest of our day and see what we can do to help you not feel hungry every day. Yeah. Yeah. So what, what about, what about sweets? Like, I mean, I'm personally, personally, I really, really (laughs) like, (laughs) really love sweets. Um, Yeah. I don't know what it is, but like, it's, And every time I've been postpartum, it's been like this like colossal nightmare trying to, so, you know, all, you know, your nurse, I'm like nursing and I'm like, oh, okay. Like I need, you know, X amount of calories. I, I, you know, I'm just eating pretty much whatever. And my body's just taking it in because I'm like nursing. But then like a year goes by and I'm like, oh, this is like incredibly unhealthy of me to be (laughs) snacking on, you know, raw cookie dough all day, you know, or whatever (laughs) I'm doing. I mean, really. (laughs) So, you know, a couple of times I've had to just like sit back and be like, okay, we got to get back on the wagon to (laughs) not eating like this. But how do we talk to our kids about this? Because we had, you had briefly mentioned this earlier in the episode, you know, talking to our kids in a way that will make them, like they're not putting foods into categories that are good versus bad, you know, because, you know, having cookie dough or ice cream or these things, I don't want them to think, oh, you know, we're going to do that once a week, but it is bad. You know, I would never want my kids to know that. So how are we talking to our kids about foods like that, you know, that are, you know, really sweet or, you know, fried chicken, whatever it is. How are we talking about foods like that to our children so that they understand the concept that, you know, it's not bad versus good. It's just making healthier choices and things like that. How would you talk to them? That is a really good question. And one that I've been thinking a lot about lately because my daughter is four, just, well, just about turn four. And she's starting to like ask about good and bad foods because she learns about them at school. That's like a big part of school lessons a lot of times. And so we really focus on neutral objective that's how we talk about food in our house. So we don't use good and bad because that's not neutral nor objective. That's not science-based. I mean, every food, almost every food, I always say that with the exception of trans fats, does something good and has the potential to do something bad in our body. So the good and bad term, like we are so conditioned as, as humans, like this is a, a psychology thing to put things into dichotomous buckets. We just love labeling things as one or the other. <laughs> I don't, it's, it can be really frustrating. <laughs> and so we actually have research again on dichotomous thinking when it comes to food and that being associated with disordered eating behaviors and associated with guilt and shame, which is a huge piece of disordered eating behaviors and eating disorders. So with kids starting from a young age, focus on healthy relationship with food. Like with a two-year-old, we don't need to talk to them about what sugar does in our body. Like that's just not 
a priority over a healthy relationship with food. So establish that healthy relationship with food first, and then we can start to bring in like little bits and pieces of nutrition science. So like my daughter, like I said, is three, almost four. And so we're just starting the like little basic pieces of nutrition science with her. I just recorded a video. I haven't posted it yet, but I'll share what we talked about here. She asked about is sugar bad for you? to me the other day in the car. So this is so timely that you're asking me this. And so we talked about how, you know, sugar can do lots of things in our bodies. Sugar, if we eat a lot and don't brush our teeth, can give us cavities. But sugar also is a fuel for our brains, just like gas is a fuel for our cars. And if we eat things that are really high in sugar, like candy, we get like a big burst of fuel really, really, really fast. And then it goes away. And then we might feel sleepy because we're out of fuel. But if we eat something like an apple, that fuel lasts longer in our bodies. And so we have more energy for a longer period of time. And so all of what I just said is objective. I didn't inject any morality into it. And it's very simple and age appropriate. And then as they get older, we can start to talk about the pros and the cons and the positive health outcomes and the negative health outcomes. But if we phrase it in an objective way, like here's the science, here's the information, that's a much better way to give our kids information without causing feelings of guilt. Because the truth of the matter, the fact of the matter is that sweet foods taste good. They just do. We are wired as human beings to like sweet foods. And so If we tell our kids sugar is bad and then they like sugar, now what are they going to feel? Like they're going to experience feelings of guilt or they're going to be so conflicted. Like, well, mom said this is bad, but I really like this. So are they going to hide it from you that they're eating that? Are they going to feel bad internally? Are they going to try to avoid it and then end up binging? And so if we use that moral language and avoid that dichotomous thinking, we can kind of skip over that and help arm our kids just with pure information. So when they're old enough to start making these food decisions more independently, and when they've shown us that they have those skills, they can make those decisions without guilt. And that's kind of what we should be shooting for you. All right. So do you think there's anything else we should mention in this section or should I move on to the to the, to the questions that I received from my community, what do you think? Gosh, well, we hit on sugar, which is probably one of the biggest things. I guess I'll say, oh, I do want to add one more thing. We talked about like the language around food, but it's also really important to have positive language around our bodies too, especially when our kids are going into schools and friends and social media. Like they're going to get messages about diet culture and they're going to get fat phobic messages. And I think it's really, really important too, that we also work on talking with ourselves and our kids about our bodies in a way that's either neutral or positive. Again, using like objective terms and trying to avoid just talking about the way body looks. So like saying like, Oh, my arms, I love my arms because they like, I can lift you up and it makes me feel so strong. And it, that kind of feels weird to like talk about yourself like that sometimes because we're not conditioned to like compliment ourselves, especially in front of other people. <laughs> but that is a really powerful tool as a parent. I think also trying to weave that into the discussions you're having about food as well, because we will also want to not only arm our kids with the ability to have a good relationship with food, but we also want to arm them with the ability to have a good relationship with their bodies too. Yeah. 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 Absolutely. So what are your favorite snacks to have inside of your house for your own kids? Oh my gosh. <laughs> so I'll give you like some specifics that I really like. I love layer of ours. I think those are really wonderful and easy. We are a nut allergy family. So there's only like one flavor that we can eat, but I have them on hand all the time because I just, sometimes you just need an easy snack. I love pouches. I think there's like this hate against pouches and I love pouches. They are so easy. <laughs> I don't give them to my kids like every meal every day, but I love them. I love a good cheese stick. Mm-hmm. Oh my gosh. My four-year-old will eat like 10 cheese sticks. I swear. I'm <laughs> yes. like, oh my gosh, I have to put a latch or a lock on these cheese sticks. It is incredible. I love my girls won't eat them. He, oh my gosh. He is like, 
I've never seen anything like it before. It's got it's definitely his favorite food. He's just always like, time for another cheese stick? I'm like, no, it's not time for another cheese stick. Like you just That's really have- funny. Oh my gosh, it's so funny. Yes, they're I mean, they're such an easy good snack, really high in protein. So I love that. Now that my daughter is four, we're starting to introduce whole nuts. So I love almonds for her because we can do almonds in our house. Smoothies are a huge hit for us. And I love making them into smoothie popsicles because like every time I make a smoothie, I always misjudge the batch size and end up having leftovers. And so I pour the leftovers into a smoothie mold and stick them in the fridge. And then my kids think I'm the coolest mom ever for giving them popsicles at breakfast. So if you want a mom win... (laughs) (laughs) There you go. And then there's veggies in it too. (laughs) Yeah, no, that's a good idea. Those are probably like my number one go-tos. We love hummus and cucumbers and hummus and crackers. Hummus is a big one. Yeah, my, yeah then, my four-year-old. I think it's probably a texture thing, but he is like, the hummus is not his thing. He is like, mm-hmm. Yeah, it totally can, can be texture. But if you try it on like right. a crunchy, like try spreading it super, super duper thin on a cracker that he likes. And you can see if that's what he'll allow it. And then we do a lot of fruit, like bananas, clementines, quartered grapes, berries. Those are probably our favorite snacks. That was a good question. Maybe think a for a second. I always, that's like, <laughs> I, it's one of those things that I'm just always... I'm sure many people are just super curious about like just other moms and like, what do they have in their, you know, pantry? What are they feeding their kids for snacks? You know what I mean? It's like, it's always one of those things where you're super, like, I mean, even like making lunches for your kids for school, you know, like I've always found that super interesting to see what people are putting into their, their children's lunches. Like I am somebody who just rotates three different things. So like the the main part of the lunch, I just rotate between we do like the it's not pita bread, but it's naan. So we do naan with hummus, right? And then my my little guy who doesn't really particularly like hummus, I'll do like peanut butter or whatever into a little container and they can dip. And then we'll always do, you know, a veggie, a fruit, and then either like some pretzel, whatever else in the in the other little contain because it's got like five it's one of those like a little bunch of all the yeah the compartments and then we always do a treat so we're like oh if you you know do a great job eating your lunch there's a treat in there there's like a little tiny compartment that has like a little flip lid and they like love seeing what's in there and actually they were never great in eating their lunches until we started doing that and we'll put all kinds of different things in there it really depends like if we made brownies we'll put like a quartered brownie in there if we have like whatever it might be. We just put like something in there that's like a sweet treat. But they always eat their lunches now. Like I don't know. Like they always come home and they're eat they're completely gone. My six year old, the first thing she tells me when she gets off the bus every single day is, Mom, I ate my whole lunch and I was able to eat my treat. Or she'll say, Mom, you know, the cucumbers didn't taste they tasted like they were maybe rotten or something. Is it okay if I still have my treat? Because I didn't have my cucumbers. <laughs> I'm like, oh my gosh, I, that takes a lot of willpower. I'm really proud of you for not, you know, eating your treat, even though you didn't eat your whole, like, it's just, it's been like, it's been good. It's it's taught them a lot. I feel like anyways, I'm kind of going on this rant here, but um, no, it's fine. So I actually talk a lot about like treats and like, should we save them for after the meal? And I want to point out here, although I don't advocate for that, like saving it for the end of the meal or like saying, if you eat your meal, I also want to point out that you need to do whatever works for your family and it works until it doesn't. Like, I think there's this like hard line in the sand where like some people are like, you shouldn't do this or you should always do this. And like, while I don't teach that, it sounds like that's working for your family right now. And that's just amazing. And that I'm so happy for you and so happy for your kids with that. And so I think it's just, I want to throw that in there because there's this like culture on Instagram of like, you should do this. I'm the expert and you should do this or you're a bad, like you don't feed your kids the right way if you don't do this. And we just have to take all these recommendations in stride and like apply them in the best way we know how for our family and do what works until it doesn't and then shift. And so sounds like that's working for you. And that's awesome. Yeah, I so and I'm off. I'm off social media for so many different reasons, including you know some <laughs> of that. But the way I've come to think about parenting and motherhood and as a general whole is there's going to be so many different experts that come in and out of your life, whether it's you know somebody talking about how to feed your kids or somebody telling you you know what you should be saying to them when they're on the playground to how they should be making friends to you know whatever it is, and 
you know, it's, it's amazing to take in information on, on what might have worked for somebody else or, or didn't work or what have you, but it doesn't mean that it's going to work for you specifically or for your children. And you just need to go with your gut and just do what you think. Like if the worst thing that happens with your kids is that they aren't huge veggie eaters. I mean, like, let's look at the broad picture here. Do you know what I mean? Like you're doing a great job as a parent and no matter what, like your child is fed, like, there are children that don't have enough food. You know what I mean? Like, so I always try to like tell people just like the big broadened picture here is that your child is loved unconditionally. They're getting food and they're being nourished in whatever way that looks like to you. And that is in and of itself is a really wonderful thing because not all children get either of those things. So yeah, it's kind of a tangent. But yeah, I I really despise Instagram for that specifically. It's just there's so <laughs> many experts and some of them it's aren't like experts, but they overload. pretend they are. You know, like oh, there's yes. there's this whole thing on social media now where people put into their bio, you know, they'll put like, oh, I don't even know. Like hormone expert and yes. a hormone coach and they've had like a one week online class. Yeah. Yeah. They've literally <laughs> yes, don't I even know. have a degree in the topic that they're an expert in, but they're an expert. Yeah. And I'm like, yep, I, I just, I, yeah, I have a really hard time digesting it and, and being okay with it. And I'm like an Enneagram eight. I just don't do well on social media. So I like, <laughs> I don't, I could find like a million things to like fight, fight against or, you know, fight for. So I'm like, I need to get out of here. But yeah, I mean, I totally agree with you. Like, I don't know if it was one of the people I had on here talking about eating before, but you know, with like the saving the sweet until later, but yeah, it's been like, we've been doing it, you know, for the whole year this year with all three of our kids and it's been really great. And we only do that for lunch. Like they will do like occasional desserts, like proper desserts after dinner, but we don't always, cause I just don't have time to like make something. But my husband comes from a big Italian family and they, they, I feel like I never had a lot of like offer desserts until, I mean, really it's just for like bigger occasions, like birthdays or, you know, holidays and such, I feel like with the desserts. But I mean, personally, I would love to be offered dessert every night if somebody else was going to make it. (laughs) Yeah. I mean, just do what works for your family. Like we do, we do desserts pretty frequently because my husband loves to bake. Like we always have a baked thing, which is so wonderful. I'm not complaining, but like we have baked goods a lot on our house because my husband likes to do it. And like, he really likes getting my daughter involved and it's like a family thing and it makes us happy and we enjoy it together. And Like, so it just, there's so much variation with what works for your specific family. There's no, like, like I just, you know, what we just said about Instagram and and any social media, like there's all this idea that like, this is the way, this is the way you need to feed your kids, but it's not that that's like the dichotomous thinking again. Right, 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 right. This goes in the bad bucket and exactly. We need to like look at the research and then look at what works for your family and take the parts that work for your family and what you can do and what you can start with and make your goals and meet, meet your family where they're at, meet yourself where you're at and slowly, you know, incorporate changes that you want. Or if you don't want to make a change and whatever you're doing is working for your family, then great. You stick with that, you know, and it's going to look different for everybody. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Okay. So Lauren, she says, when do you go from plating your kids food to family style where they can choose everything for themselves? I mean, I've heard from several people, so it'd be interesting to hear, to hear what you say that typically when kids get to like pick and choose, like, like for, for example, the family style where they can like put together their own burrito, whatever it is, they always eat better overall because they're getting the choice of putting what's on their plate. Do you suggest that every dinner is family style? Do you suggest like a combination of plating your kids' food and family style? I suggest uh, doing family style as much as possible and as feasible for your family. So like sometimes you're serving like a stir fry and you you cannot imagine your two-year-old plating their food without getting food everywhere and you just don't want to deal with that, like then just plate their food. (laughs) But if you can deal with it that night, then have them serve themselves. I started family style meals with my kids at like 18 months. That's when I let them start building their own plates when when we can. But like sometimes the the food is in a hot dish and like we don't want to dirty an entire bowl just to put it on the table. So we plate their food. And sometimes if it's like we're serving like hamburgers with french fries and then like 
strawberries or something on the side. We say like, you have to put the strawberry on your plate, but you don't have to eat it, but you can get it yourself. And so like, we usually require them to put the fruit or the vegetable on their plate, but allow them to do it themselves and then don't require them to eat it. But if it's like something like a stir fry or pasta or whatever, then we just stay quiet and let them serve it themselves. We do also make sure that they have to be considerate of the other family members. So like if there's cookies on the table and you're serving yourself, you don't get to just put all the cookies on your plate before your brother has a chance to serve themselves. Like, so I think this is a good, it's a good learning opportunity to like talk about like being considerate and kind and sharing too when things are limited or like my daughter, we we had cookies the other day and she like scarfed on her cookies and then she went to get more. And I was like, hold on, like there's one cookie left and your brother hasn't had any yet. Do you think you want to ask him if he wants one too? And so like we work, kind of work on those skills as well, but family meals as often as possible. Yes, they help kids eat more especially new foods, because it gives them independence. But if you want to set some boundaries, like XYZ needs to go on your plate, but they get to choose how much of it. And if they eat it, that's fine too. The only time when I wouldn't require something beyond the plate is if a child has a very big sensory aversion or needs. And like some kids can't even tolerate a vegetable being on their plate without gagging. And so in those situations, we, we slowly work our way up to that. But eventually my goal would be to have that always on their plate. Okay. Yeah, that makes sense. Okay. So let's see. Let's end the episode with two questions I typically ask all my guests that I have here. So the first question is, if you could give one piece of advice to mothers, what would it be? It could be about anything, not not just the topic today. My advice would be, be careful who you listen to for advice. (laughs) Amen, please. Like just, I just feel like everybody wants to give advice, myself included. I mean, I'm on Instagram to give people advice, but like if my message doesn't resonate with you or like your friend of a friend is giving you advice, is making you feel bad about the things you're doing, like don't listen to them. One, if they're not an expert in the field, like really don't listen to them. And two, even if they are an expert, it doesn't mean you need to like absorb and digest and apply every little thing that people tell you to do, because that would be incredibly overwhelming. You're a good parent, trust your gut. And yeah, be careful who you listen to for advice. That would be probably my, my tip. Yeah, no, that's great. And I, and I totally agree with you. I think we're in a weird like day and age back in, you know, the twenties and thirties, you didn't have information at your disposal. Like you have today, you can literally get whatever your, whatever question pops in your head, you can get the answer for it in five seconds by using your phone. And, you know, previously you would have to, I don't know, find it somebody that you knew that might have the answer that's like an expert on whatever that question might be, or you might have to find it in a book that you'd have to go try to find a book at, I mean, a library or something, you know, like it was so hard to find information. And now we're just like inundated. Even when we don't have a question, we're inundated with all of this information and tips for this and tricks for that. And here, make this new, you know, recipe and, oh, are you doing with this with your child? Oh, well, you should probably try to do it this way. This is better. And just can't imagine, truly can't imagine having like my first child in 2022. Like even when I had my first child in 2013, I felt like that was a little bit overwhelming, but I wasn't even on social media at that time. So I can't even imagine like having to take all that in right and like trying to find your trying to follow your instincts at the same time you know it's just incredibly difficult and then the second question is if you could make one meal for your entire family that everybody would eat that is relatively quick and easy what would it be okay well i don't do any cooking in my house my husband does all the all the Look dinner cooking you. I do the dishes. Well, that, okay, I do lunches and breakfast, but he does like our main meals. So I, my favorite, I don't really cook. The reason I, the reason that is, is because my husband doesn't like my cooking, which I'm not like complaining about. So the only thing, literally the only thing he eats that I make is peanut butter and jelly. <laughs> so I'm going to say peanut butter and jelly oh sandwiches. 
That is so funny. Because everything else I make for the kids, he doesn't eat. He, like he does his own thing for lunches and breakfast, and then he he's in charge of dinner. So I love let's that. Take PDJ. Maybe I should pretend to be really bad at cooking, and then we'll see what happens. <laughs> you know, it's a blessing and a curse. <laughs> oh, that's hysterical. Okay, so wait, what was it? Oh, peanut butter and jelly. Oh, peanut, <laughs> peanut butter and, jelly. and sometimes I'll throw some. I'll throw some hemp seeds in there to like oh, add some go. little nutrient boost. But my husband will will notice if I do that to his. So I only do that to the kids. Oh my gosh, that's so funny. Okay, so what's a meal that your husband makes that you really love and that your kids love? Oh, too? oh my gosh, our favorite would be copycat chipotle burrito bowls. Ooh. they're so good. Like he has that guacamole recipe down, and the chicken is so good. And everybody mm. can serve themselves because you family style, and so there's like the the beans and the lettuce, which my daughter calls salad. And she just like eats plain and asks for more salad, which is so funny. We got the salsa, the chicken, the guac. And then my 18 month old is like eating spoonfuls of guacamole. So everybody's happy with that dinner. That's probably, I love it. probably one of our favorites. I love it. Yeah. Yeah. That's great. <laughs> all right. Well, thank you so much for taking the time to chat with us today and give us all your tips and tricks about feeding our kids. I know that people listening will definitely find it useful and I hope you have a great rest of your day. Thank you. Thank you so much for hanging out with us today. All resources mentioned in this episode can be found in the show notes on lindsayandco.com. To continue these important conversations, head over to Motherhood Meets Medicine on Instagram. Let me know what you learned from this episode and who you would love to hear from next. I always love getting feedback from you. If you're finding value in this podcast, please rate, review, subscribe, and share with a friend. This will help us to reach even more women from around the world. I'll catch you next week. Until then, don't forget to find some time to unplug, unwind, and have a little fun. Seeking the truth never gets old. Introducing June's Journey, the free-to-play mobile game that will immerse you in a thrilling murder mystery. Join June Parker as she uncovers hidden objects and clues to solve her sister's death in a beautifully illustrated world set in the Roaring Twenties. With new chapters added every week, the excitement never ends. Download June's Journey now on your Android or iOS device, or play on PC through Facebook games.